Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. So nice to be with you this morning. We're continuing in our series, In the Life of Moses. We're in the section where God has called Moses. He's been prepared for 80 years, and now he's going to answer God's call. And we're going to see how this looks as God is first interacting with Abraham, uh, with, uh, with Moses, and Moses is making objections and how God answers those objections. This is part two of the call of God. David began it in his message that preceded this one. The title of today's message is God Keeps His Covenant Promises. And we're going to see why this is the title. Because what is this passage really all about? It's not about Moses. We've learned this before when we studied the life of Abraham and the life of Joseph. And it's true in the life of every biblical character. A study of that character is not primarily intended to focus on that character, but on how God interacted with that character. God is the main character in every character study. How does this come out? What is this passage really all about? We know from the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ that repetition is very important. Truly, truly, I say to you. We know that he called Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The young boy Samuel, he called Samuel, Samuel. Repetition is important. We recognize it when it's the same word one right after another, but repetition often occurs in multiple words, multiple phrases throughout a passage. That is a key. Look for that. In this passage, there's one thing that's repeated four times. The God of your fathers, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. Do we think this is important? Is this a clue from the Holy Spirit who inspired Moses to record what actually happened at the burning bush? This passage is about the Lord who happened to be the God of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the descendants who have now found themselves, after 400 years, 400 years in Egypt, now enslaved in bondage at hard labor, toiling long days. This passage is about the God of the fathers. What he's referring to here is the covenant that he made with Abraham that he repeated to Isaac and Jacob that he would fulfill his promises to give them a land. And our brother Joe read from the scriptures about that, that God will bring them up out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage, the house of slavery, and bring them to a land overflowing with milk and honey. This passage is about the covenant God, the faithful covenant-keeping God who will in his own time and in his own way 
bring about the fulfillment of every promise that he, admit, he has made. He's presented in this passage as the Lord, and we'll look at that in a little bit. But not only is he in the present time the Lord, but we need to remember he's the God of the past as well. This is what he reminds Moses of twice when he says the God of your fathers and a third time, the Hebrew people came out of the loins, so to speak, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's sons. The God of the present is the God of the past, and the God of the past is the God of the present. In this passage, God is revealed as a covenant promise-keeping God who is the same God today as he was in the past. This is how he reveals himself. I am that I am. Who I am now, I was the God of your ancestors. The same God in the past, he tells Moses, I am now. This is the same message to you and I today. Normally I suggest if there's one, only one thing you take away from this message, and I suggest something. I have two points that I'd like you to try and focus on as we go through this passage and take away. First, the God of the past, the God of the Bible, the God that you read about in every page of Scripture is your God. He's not just relegated to the pages of an old book. He is your God as well. The God that you read about in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is your God. The God of every single one of us here this morning. He is no different. He says in Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yea, and forever. He never changes. The God of the past is your God. Be encouraged by that. When you read Scripture or when you listen to a preacher on the radio or television or in a Bible study someone teaching or on a Sunday morning, whenever, a Thursday evening, whether it be by video or a person standing here, the God that they speak about from the pages of Scripture is the living God. He calls himself throughout the living God, not a dead God. He's a living God, and he's your God. That exact same God that's on the pages of Scripture. The second thing to take away as we see Moses interacting with God in classic Jewish fashion going back and forth, just like Abraham would do uh, in Abraham, uh, chapter uh, 18, haggling with God, the God has answers to all your objections to serving him. And he is with you in your service. God never asks us to do anything for him alone. He's always there with us. There's an old poem, and I, I never bothered to memorize it, but the, the title of it had to do with two sets of footprints and, and, and how the person wanting to serve God 
struggled in various ways until they realized that there was a second set of footprints, the sandal prints of the Lord Jesus Christ walking every step of the way. And this is true. The Lord is going to say this clearly, explicitly. He is with Moses. He is with you and I whenever we seek to serve him in whatever capacity. He has answers to our objections, our excuses for not serving, and he encourages us that he's with us every single step of the way. This passage breaks down neatly into three main points. God keeps his covenant promises through your service. He's going to keep the promises he made to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Moses. He promised them a land, and it's going to be through Moses, working through Moses, that God is going to bring them out to possess that land that he had promised. God keeps his covenant promises through your service and mine. God's covenant promises include everything related to that service. And then lastly, God's covenant promise, uh, promises include the results of your service. Let's see how this looks. The first point, God keeps his covenant promises through your service. God will use you to fulfill his covenant promises. Verse 10, therefore, come now, I send you. It begins with God. Every aspect of his salvation plan begins with him. We did not love him first, but he loved us and sent his son, John writes. Not only in salvation itself did God first show love for us, but even post-salvation in our service for him, he is the one who sends. Any service done for the glory of God and not for self, any service done for him and not for the promotion of self, he is the one who sends. Remember, Moses had the idea that he was going to deliver the people and he was going to do it through murder, as our brother Gilson preached so eloquently. That was Moses' plan. God had a different plan that he would bring about 80 years or about 40 years later when he was 80 years old. God is the one who sends you whenever you seek to serve, whether it be preaching or teaching, whether it be sharing the gospel, even handing a track to someone serving in security or the ushers or the fellowship table or Sunday school or nursery. When you want to do something for God, He is the one who is motivating you. He is the one who sends you. God says, I send you. It begins with God, but you are included. He wants you to be part of the fulfillment of His covenant promises. 
For Moses, it was the covenant made to Abraham, an unconditional covenant accepted by faith. For you and I, it's the new covenant in Christ's blood, unconditional, accepted by faith. What's the purpose for sending him? So that you, he says to Moses, you, and he says that to every one of us here this morning, so that you may be used by him to fulfill his plan in the new covenant, to spread the gospel and to live Christ-like lives, a burning and shining light, not hid under a bushel, salt that still has its savor or its flavor and has not become tasteless and useless. For Moses, it was that you may bring out of Egypt. That's redemption. You and I, just like Moses, are part of God's redemption plan. Moses is a picture of Christ, and so he was a redeemer. You and I are part of God's redemption plan. It's how he's chosen to work through the church, spreading the gospel, both collectively when we gather together and individually as he gives us opportunity to share our faith. God will use you to fulfill his covenant promises. The second point, God's covenant promises include everything related to your service. There is nothing that you and I need in order to serve the Lord God than what he's already provided. He provides us everything. He doesn't forget anything that we need for our service. We're going to see Moses may have truly felt he was incapable of serving God in the way that God wanted him to serve, And God will address that. It may have been sincere on Moses' part. At some point, though, it begins to sound like excuses when he repeats himself. But God includes everything. He forgets nothing. You and I have every single thing we need to serve him in whatever capacity the Holy Spirit intends us to serve and glorify Christ and God. God anticipates all your concerns about service and has already decided to be with you every step of the way. This is his plan from eternity past, from before you and I were ever conceived. In verse 11, after God says, I send you to Pharaoh to bring out of Egypt his people, God's people. Moses, in response, said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? This may be sincere on his part. It's an important lesson. In and of ourselves, not a single one of us is worthy or capable of serving God to his eternal glory. Not one of us, no matter 
what skills we have, what talents we have, what resources we have, what eloquence, doesn't matter. In and of ourselves, it is, who am I? Why me, Lord? What, what, how can I do this? God makes it very clear. It is not by might, nor by power, but by His Spirit that we serve Him, that we're capable of serving Him. In and of ourselves, there is one thing and only, and only one thing that you and I would ever do, seek to promote ourselves and bring glory to ourselves, benefit ourselves. That's all we would ever do. That's who we are. But in Him, and when we yield to His indwelling Holy Spirit, that vanishes away. We are someone who is cleansed and worthy to serve, not in and of ourselves, but because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And how does God respond? God says, certainly I will be with you. See, Moses was focused on the wrong person. He was focused on himself instead of being focused on God. The Lord God says, I will be with you in your mission, in your service, in the task that I have set before you, that I have called you to do. The New Testament scriptures are clear. I don't need to cite verse after verse after verse. You know this. God has called us to serve, to serve one another in brotherly love. This local church is not just a community. It is a community, but it is a family. We call each other brother and sister for a reason. The Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, dwells in every one of us who has trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and what he did on the cross. Just like, in a sense, the same blood flows through the veins of brothers and sisters, the same Spirit indwells each one who has trusted in Jesus Christ. The Spirit is thicker than blood. Certainly I will be with you. And then he says this as an encouragement to Moses. Listen to this. Think about this for a minute. This is really rather startling. This is so, so different than so many in modern American Christianity. It's so different than even Gideon in the book of Judges. He says, and this shall be the sign. Wouldn't you love to have a sign from God? that you are serving the way he wants you to serve? Wouldn't that be great that God sent you and I signs to confirm every step of the way? Remember what Gideon did? God called Gideon, told him what he would do, and Gideon says, oh, I, I don't know about this. Lord, if it's really, really you, give me a sign. Let me put a fleece on the ground. And if tomorrow morning that fleece is wet, that lamb's wool is wet, and the ground is dry, 
then I know you've sent me. Next morning, the ground is dry, but the fleece is soaked, and he wrings it out, and he fills a vessel with it. God gave him the sign, and what does Gideon do? Uh, I, I need another sign, God. If tomorrow the ground is wet and the fleece is dry, then I'll know. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. But so many want signs like that. God, if you would only tell me, if you would only show me, if you would do this, God is going to give a sign to Moses. And this will be the sign. This shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship at this mountain. Notice the sign comes after Moses' obedience. Why? This faith is required to serve God. Paul, the apostle, makes it so clear to the Corinthians. We walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews chapter 11. Remember when we studied Hebrews? Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen in Hebrews 11.1. 1. In verse 6 of that same chapter, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, not casually, but diligently seek him. The sign that he gave Moses was only going to be realized when Moses in faith obeyed God and did what God told him to do. How different that is than so much preaching and belief you hear today about seeking a sign from God. Have you ever wanted a sign? From, I, as a young Christian, I would be guilty of that. Asking God for a sign so that I would know what to do. It's a little more understandable as a young Christian. But I've walked with the Lord over 49 years. And he has been so, so good. He's never failed me. His faithfulness has endured for over 49 years. I have no excuse if I do not serve him without a sign beforehand. He's given me enough evidence over all these years of his faithfulness, his goodness. Moses was given a sign, but he would only see that sign after he obeyed and carried out that mission. And what would he do? What was that sign? He would worship God. What a sign. Do you know, brothers and sisters, God has given to every one of us who has trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation that very same sign. One day, with a thousand generations, as we sang, we will sing in heaven with a thousand generation of saints. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That is the sign that you will receive. You will worship him in heaven.
Just as Moses would worship at the mountain of God, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. It's known by both names. What a sign. You will one day know that the choice you made to trust in Jesus and not your good works for salvation, trust in what he did on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins and mine, you will know you made the right decision. When you worship him in heaven and sing glory to him throughout eternity, you will know you made the right decision to serve him, to lay down your life for him, to love him, to share the gospel with those in need, even if it's just handing out a tract, even a cup of cold water will not be despised but be rewarded by the Lord. God anticipated not only our concerns and questions, but others' questions. And he has answers to those questions. Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say, The God of your fathers has sent me to me, sent me to you. Now they may say to me, He's thinking, Is he trying to get out of this service, or is this a legitimate question? We're not entirely sure from the passage itself. Now, they may say to me, what is his name? Now, they're surrounded by the gods of Egypt. Ra, Horus, Osiris, all the various gods of Egypt with their animal heads. They may say, what is our God's name? What do we call him? Who shall I say to them? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is where the name Yahweh comes from. From I am who I am. What's really important in the Middle Eastern culture not just the Jewish culture, but all Middle Eastern culture. From this time, even before, in Abraham's day, hundreds of years earlier, to the day of Moses, 1,400 years later, when Christ would be born, they had this idea that if you gave a name, you had power and authority over what was named. Jesus Christ has all power and authority, but to accommodate that understanding, he says to the demon possessing the man, what is your name? So everyone watching would understand this, and he would say legion. The demon would say legion, for we are many. And then Christ casts them out. He didn't need to know the name. He already knew the name. He didn't have to ask. God is saying, I can't name anyone else who has more power than I do. I am who I am. He cites no other authority who gave him that name. No one higher, no one more powerful. 
No one else in control. I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh has sent me to you. God has anticipated this question. He has anticipated every question. There's no question that you can be asked that there is not a reply to. We may not always know the replies. There's some questions I may not have a ready answer to. I may have to talk to Gilson or Fred or David. I may have to study myself. But trust me, there's no question any unbeliever can ask you about your faith in Jesus Christ. No objection to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of the Bible that has not been answered by Christian theologians and philosophers, by scientists who are Christians. Every single objection has an answer. I've studied hundreds of these for decades. There are answers. These questions, these objections that modern-day believers ask have been asked in different ways for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they've been answered again generation after generation as the question, the objection, changes a little in form, becoming a little more scientific, so to speak, nowadays. The answers are always the same. Trust me, there is an answer to every objection. If, so, if in sharing the gospel, if in handing a tract to someone, somebody asks a question or gives an objection, you don't need to worry. You can just tell them. I know people who have answers to those questions. Let me get back to you on that. There's people in this church, men and some women in this church, who know those answers and can give them to you. There's websites on the Internet, Christian websites, that will give answers to all the questions and objections that you can possibly face. God has anticipated all of those from eternity past and has provided the resources and the individuals who can help you with those questions. He has answers to them. The answer to every single question, do you know what it all points back to? God. I am who I am. He is the source of the answer to every question you and I have in life, to every question the unbeliever may ask, and every objection as well. He is the ultimate answer to everything. God wants others to know that you serve not yourself, but Him in His name. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel. This is important because some of them might remember that Moses at one time tried to deliver Israel with his fist. Moses murdered a man. He was a nice guy, murderer though, nice guy. And he's sending Moses back, and some may remember. And he says, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. I'm not deciding to come back now 
as an 80-year-old, look, he couldn't deliver them when he was 40. Could he deliver them when he's 80? I'm sure he was a lot stronger, more powerful at the age of 40 than at the age of 80. God has sent me, the Lord, Yahweh. Whenever you see Lord in all capitals, that is the divine name, Yahweh. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. God wants others to know that you serve not yourself. Moses was not coming back now in the strength of his own right fist. He was coming back in the name of Yahweh, the Lord God. You and I serve not in our name, but in his name. You know, we have a culture at Grace Gospel Church. I don't know when it started. I've only been here a bit over seven years. But I know it goes way, way back. When the music ministry completes, leading us in musical worship, there's applause. Or when there's a solo, there's applause. Sometimes after preaching, there's some applause. The culture at Grace Gospel Church has this applause in it. It's the first time I've encountered it. I don't see it as a bad thing necessarily. Why? Unless you're new here, the reason why people applaud is they're applauding what the Lord is doing. They're clapping for the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. They're they're not looking at the music as a performance. Certainly they don't look at my preaching as some sort of eloquent performance. But they clap for him. That's one way that they're praising him and glorifying him. That's why every message I've preached, whether it was midweek or Sunday mornings, you'll see me do this if there's any applause. It's not because 95% of you don't already know that all the glory goes to him, but just so you know that I know you're not applauding me or for someone new that no one's applauding me. Look, no matter what you do for the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's preaching or teaching, whether it's evangelism, even if it's passing out tracts, whether you serve in nursery or the fellowship table, you're doing it all for him. It's all done in his name. When it comes to evangelizing or preaching or teaching, if anything that's said is true, it comes from the spirit of truth. It's not your truth. It's not my truth. It's the Holy Spirit's truth. He is called the spirit of truth. The only thing I can ever add to God's truth is error. That's it. You give God all the glory for any truth you hear, you give me the credit for the error. That's it. That's the arrangement. That's the way it's done. All the glory for anything good and true goes to Him. He always gets all the glory. Listen. Jesus Christ promised more than once in the Gospels, in different circumstances. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. 
That's his promise. When and how you'll be exalted, I don't know. That's up to him. It could be in this life. It could be throughout eternity when it finally happens. But if you humble yourself before the Lord your God, Jesus Christ has promised he will exalt you. And he will keep that promise. Humble yourself and you're on the express elevator to the spiritual penthouse. It doesn't stop at any floors in between. It takes you to the very top. He will exalt you. Remember Jesus Christ? He first had to suffer a cross before he received the crown. The greater the humiliation, and he was humiliated. First he humbled himself by becoming a man, veiling his divine glory in flesh, only breaking out at the Mount of Transfiguration. And then he humbled himself further, Paul tells us, to the point of death, even the death of a cross, in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, because he did this, because he left the glory of heaven and became a bondservant, bearing the sins of the world on the cross, experiencing the wrath and judgment of God that you and I deserve for our sin. God exalted him and gave him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. The greater the humiliation, the greater the exaltation. This is the way God does things. It's that simple. You want to be exalted by God? You want to be rewarded for your service? You want blessing upon your service and your life? Never take credit for anything good that you do. It is God working in you and through you. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. Oh, you might think that, okay, you know, I've always had this talent or this ability. I've always had this skill. You know, I use that to serve the Lord. Okay, maybe you did. But there's not a single one of us here this morning who before they were conceived checked off. I want to have a great singing voice. I want to have great athletic prowess. I want physical attractiveness or beauty. I want a good business mind and make wise investments so I have money. I, I want to be eloquent. I want to be intelligent. Not one of us checked that off before we were conceived. God gave you and I even our natural talents and abilities to be used for his glory. He still gets all the credit for everything good that we do. Lastly, God's covenant promises include the results of our service. The results of your service are based upon God's concerns for those you serve. God is concerned about everyone that we serve in whatever capacity we serve. God is not solely focused on his servant. He is focused on others as well. 
sadly, sometimes we're focused too much on ourselves. And maybe that's sometimes why we don't serve. Because we're looking at ourself, trying to decide, do I want to? Am I able to? Remember, he's going to be with us. He told Moses that. I will be with you. We should be focusing on the needs of others and the fact that with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, God being with us, we can meet the needs of others in whatever capacity, teaching them truth, sharing the gospel, serving them in some way, serving in the church. God says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. God is concerned about you. Never think for a moment that God is not concerned with what you're going through. He is concerned. He sees, he knows. And he will act in his time when he knows it's best for you. God is concerned about those that we will serve. Keep that in mind. The needs of others as we seek to serve God. Let that be a motivator. Our brothers and sisters here are unsaved out in the world, our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, they need what we have, whether it be the gospel, whether it be modeling for them a Christ-like life, whether it be helping them with our hands or with the finances the Lord has supplied, in whatever way, they have needs that God has equipped us to meet their needs. The results of our service are based upon God's desire to bless those that you and I serve. It's not just that God has a concern and does nothing about it. God actually is going to do something. He is going to bless through Moses' service and through your service and mine. So I said, God said, I will bring up out of the affliction of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. There was the blessing, a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, imagine this. I mean, it's not that milk is going to be coming out of the ground. This is animals, goats, camels, cattle that could provide milk. These animals would prosper. That's the picture here. The flocks and the herds would multiply. They'd be healthy and well-fed in this land, overflowing with milk and honey. Again, the honey, the picture of sweetness, even fruits, as the spies would bring back when they scouted out that promised land, when they would reach it two years later after leaving Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. The results are based upon God's desire to bless. He will bless your service and mine when we do it for his glory and not to try and get praise for ourselves. The results of your service are based upon others' obedience to God's instructions. 
God knows already how everyone will respond to our service. Whether they respond positively or negatively, God knows how they will respond. It's not the reward of your service. That's based solely on faithfulness. This is not reward we're talking about here, but the results. And in this verse, there are two results. The elders of Israel, they will pay heed. He's talking to Moses here. They will pay heed to what you say. The elders of Israel will hear Moses' message and they will obey. They will listen and follow what Moses said. A positive response. That result is their obedience to Moses' faithfulness as a servant. And they will come to Pharaoh. And you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But God is going to say, I know Pharaoh's not going to listen. Pharaoh's not going to obey. Even that result, a negative result, is based upon their obedience, or in Pharaoh's case, disobedience, to God's instructions. Again, not the reward. You are not responsible for saving anyone. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. Our job is to share the gospel, even if it's handing out a tract. Maybe you serve faithfully here in some ministry at Grace Gospel Church. It's behind the scenes. You're, to use a football analogy, you're the interior lineman of Grace Gospel Church. There'd be no touchdowns without you. But people don't know your name. They don't see you. Maybe you serve in the kitchen. But they benefit from what you do there. God wants you to serve. He will be with you. Even if people don't follow your example of Christ-like service, you're not responsible for that. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them and to bring about change in their life so that they notice a faithful servant of the Lord serving in whatever way possible. Nothing's beneath your dignity to serve and some will follow your example. The Holy Spirit will convict them of the righteousness of your example. Others, though, may never respond. But know this. The Holy Spirit never sleeps on the job. He always convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's his job. Leave the results to him. Sad to say, as a young Christian, I used to share the gospel a lot. That's not sad. Well, wait till you hear what I did. Like a gunslinger in the Wild West, I had little tick marks in my pocket testament that I would use to share the gospel. Another sinner slain. Another one who prayed with me to receive Christ. And I kept track. How awful was that? Sure, I was only saved weeks and months, okay? It's sort of understandable. But I'm ashamed of that. 
Those little tick marks, it wasn't me doing a good job. If that person was truly saved, it was the Holy Spirit who saved them, not me. Always give the glory to God. The results, anything positive, are from Him. The results of your service are based upon God's knowledge of the opposition of the wicked. God knows not everyone will respond to your Christ-like example of humble service. Not everyone will respond to your sharing of the gospel. Not everyone will respond to the truth you might share with them from God's word, teaching that you might give to someone. He says, but I know that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, will not permit you to go except under compulsion. The results of your service are based upon others' responses, whether it's for the good or the bad. Not the reward of your service. That's solely based on faithfulness. Uh, this, Paul writes to the Corinthians, what does God require of a steward except that he be found faithful? That's it. God has given us all a stewardship of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We just need to be faithful. That's all he requires of us. The results are totally up to him and will always be exactly what he intended. Even Pharaoh's rejection. He uses Pharaoh's hard heart to bring about glory for his name. The results of your service are due to God's supernatural actions and grace behind the scenes. He says in verse 20, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the miracles which I shall do. Sure, he sent Moses. He's going to see, Lord willing, next week signs that he gave to Moses. We know he's going to do the ten plagues. Uh, Moses will tell Pharaoh what the plague is. But it's God who's really doing the miracles. It does say that Moses is going to do some, but God is doing them through Moses, and some God does totally apart from Moses. He says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt, the miracles which I shall do in the midst of it, and that he will let you go. I will grant this people favor or grace in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go, you will not go empty-handed. That's God's grace. It's never empty. It's always full. It's always overflowing when we serve him. God is going to use supernatural actions to redeem, to bring out of Egypt his people. The ten plagues culminating in the Passover and the death of the firstborn in every house, even of the animals. And then the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh and his armies. <clears throat> God is going to use supernatural actions. But you and I think we don't see supernatural actions like that. You know something? You don't see them a lot in the Bible. You see supernatural actions, miracles, basically three times in Scripture. The life of Moses... The ministry of Moses, the ministry of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was the disciple of, of Elijah. And the ministry of Christ and his apostles. Those are the only times you see miracles. 
throughout the thousands of years of Scripture. Miracles only three times and for specific purposes, which we don't have time to get into. Miracles are not all over the pages of Scripture. But God does act supernaturally. Do you remember in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6? The Arameans have declared war on King Ahab and the ten northern tribes of Israel. Elijah and Elisha were prophets sent to those wicked northern tribes. Elisha is now the prophet. Elijah has been caught up to heaven by God, leaving his mantle for Elisha. And in the morning, one morning, they come out, Elisha and his servant, and they're surrounded by the Aramean army who is going to kill them. And his servant is afraid. And Elisha prays, open the eyes of my servant. He opens his eyes, and what does he see? Standing between the Aramean army and them are angels with swords. God is working behind the scenes. You and I have no clue what is going on in the spiritual realm to protect us, to bless us, to to bring about God's plan. He still acts supernaturally. We just don't see it. He's no different today than he was when Elisha walked the earth. He still operates in that fashion. And then lastly, the results of your service are blessed by God beyond what you may imagine or think possible. God says, every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you, the slaves, the powerless slaves, you will plunder the Egyptians. This is unbelievable. Not only are they going to go, but the Egyptians are going to give them as much valuable things as they need. The silver and gold would be used to create vessels for the worship of God at the tabernacle. Their clothing would never wear out. The clothing they were given, they would plunder them. God, this is unbelievable. It's not the powerful men who will go and take these things. He's working through what in that culture, in that day, would be the most unlikely way. A gentle, quiet woman. Please, give me clothes and more clothes for my children. Give us your gold and your silver. And they comply. This is the power of God. He can work through anyone. This would have been shocking to the first readers that it was not men with swords coming to pillage the household, but a simple request from a woman. This would have been startling. Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that our God is able to do exceeding abundantly, super abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think. This is a biblical example of that. Our God is not limited by anything. The results can be blessed in ways that are unimaginable. 
our God is able to do that. Let's pray together and thank the Lord for his word, for who he is and what he wants to do. Oh, dear God, we ask that you would help us to trust in all your promises that are contained in your word. Oh, give us faith, dear God, to live out all that you ask us to do. Dear God, help us to stop objecting to serving you. Help us, please, to be faithful servants. Strengthen us in the inner person by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may serve you with Christ-like character and with faithfulness, not for ourselves, dear God, but for your glory and for your name's sake, in whose name we pray, amen.